Good morning. That's um, another one of those uh, parables where the focus usually is on the person who gets it wrong. In fact, two-thirds of that parable are about people who are told, well done, good and faithful servant. And um, that's the tone I'd like to take from that um, story of Jesus and apply to um, my talk this morning. First of all, um, well, first of all, my name's Barry, by the way, if you don't know me. I always forget to do that. I um, don't know why. I'm not ashamed of who I am, but I often forget (laughs) to introduce myself. Um, Who was at Vision Night on Tuesday? And this is not a test, but who wasn't? Just let me see. Actually, most of you were. So some of this is going to be repetition. What I want to do is take what was presented by Mark on Tuesday, put it into some sort of theological context, and communicate it to the whole church, both at this service and the next one. Um, If um, you weren't there, then you may not have picked up one of these. Now, at the back, on the little table next to where... Andrew is on the sound desk of these surveys. Do you remember filling these in a few weeks ago, if you're regulars here? Well, these are the results, and um, you, you're quite welcome indeed. I encourage you to pick up one of those and take it away with you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you a little story before I go into um, the main body of the, of, of the talk and the vision. Um, this little phrase, a faithful and fruitful church will impact the world, not just, it, it should say, its parish, whether it realizes it or not. In other words, a lot of the fruit of what we do here, and any other faithful church, occurs unseen in places that we don't know it's happening. In October, I went to Kenya to visit a team that we support out there with uh, a mission called Walking with Maasai, which w- works with the, the local people. It's been there a number of years now. Um, because I'd come and I brought a team with me, this made me significant. It was a Mzungu. I come with many gifts, you know. Um, I don't know what they were, but apparently I came with them. And that prompted a breakthrough. In other words, the, the local church leaders decided to all meet together and invite me to come and speak with them, with, with Henny, who was my, my host. Now, this church has only been in existence for 20 or 30 years and had split six times. Was it ever thus in the kingdom, unfortunately? And this is what we did. We, we sat around in a big table. We drank this really sweet, milky tea, which... Um, in the end, I, I got to like, but I never thought I'd get through it. And they asked me these polite, deferential questions. And I gave them polite, deferential answers, which were then translated into Kimasai and then into Swahili. So goodness knows, by the time they actually got to the end listener, what I'd said. And then we got up, shook hands, and said goodbye, and hurried home before the sun set, because it was dark. It was a bit like a vampire film, actually. It was like trying to get back home before it got really dark. And I, th- I thought nothing more of it. And then last Thursday, I got a phone call from Henny. And he said, um, I've been invited after three years, two and a half years, to speak at all these churches. And we're setting up monthly meetings. They're all going to meet together and pray together 
and build the kingdom together. And I said, did that have anything to do with our meeting? He said, it had everything to do with that. Something broke in the spirit in a positive way that day. All I did was go, drink tea, answer these most mundane questions in the politest way I could think of. And something happened in the spirit in that place. And a divided church has just stepped out again on getting back together. So well done, good and faithful servant, because we only went because you guys sent us. And the first thing I want to do before we go through the vision is to thank you all for faithfully serving last year. Thank you all for being here, for contributing, for, for, for tithing and offering, and for being part of teams that enable us to do that kind of thing and send people all around the world. Let me tell you a less positive story. You read the um, newspapers this week about the High Court ruling about Biddeford Town Council. All right? Um, basically, they um, hold prayers before meetings every day, and councillors, I think, are obliged to go to these prayers. And one of them said, I don't want to do that anymore, and took them to court, and the court upheld his, his action. Now, w- was that a problem with the council? Was it a problem with the judge? Was it a problem with the councillor? Was it a problem with the people of Biddeford, optically? None of those things. You know what? It's a problem with us. It's a problem with our country and our society. And I think I, I, you know, people tweet and they put on Facebook now. I, I put on, you know, I'm not so sure this is so surprising. This battle was lost in the streets and pews generations ago not in the High Court yesterday. And I have no problem with that atheist council objecting to having prayers before um, council meetings. It's not his fault. And I don't have a problem with what the judge said. But I do think it's a challenge to you and me to win back the streets and houses and the pews for Christ. So that when councillors go to represent us, they want to pray before they do their meetings and before they take their decisions. So what we saw in Biddeford is just a symptom. It's not a cause of anything, and I don't think it's worthy of any protests of any kind. It's time for us to get on with reclaiming the country, and eventually they'll start praying in council meetings again. Too many times we tilt at windmills, fight the wrong battles, and forget what it is we're called to do. As a people, we need to change the people. And that's our vision. A faithful and fruitful church will impact the world. And St. Paul's impacts the UK and the world in a staggering and humble way. And we want to build on that. God has drawn and continues to draw anointed and talented people, to use the modern sense of the parable word, to bless others. And in a nutshell, our vision is that we want to build on that and grow this church, both in its ministry here and in its impact elsewhere. Now, did I skip past it, Alex, or is there a slide with a website on it? I think I may have done. The talk that Mark gave is quite lengthy and quite detailed. If you want to listen to it, even if you heard it on Tuesday, you want to listen to it again, go to that part of our website, download it, and then you will hear the vision for the church, bits of which I will 
illustrate for you this morning, but only bits, otherwise we'll be here till, um, till lunchtime. Well, first of all, I want to talk about why bother with vision, just very quickly. If you're doing the Bible in a year, um, you'll be going through the book of Exodus at the moment, which is a, a journey story, something about going from one place through trials and testing and development and ending up in another. And without vision for the end point, I don't know that those people would ever have come through that journey, um, lasting as it did uh, 40 years or whatever it was. And without vision, what we end up doing is what they ended up doing for a while, actually. You go around in circles. You do laps as a church. Does that mean anything to you? You think, it's that time of year again, it must be, you know, it's, it's chocolate eggs, it must be Easter. Or, um, I don't know, it's, uh, in some churches it's, um, he's wearing red, it must be Pentecost Sunday. You know, and that's literally the way they think. And, and we're in danger of that same mentality unless we keep our eyes on where God is taking us. Even the best of things, the most exciting things, can just become laps. And we end up in a cycle of routines, a merry-go-round that picks up people as it goes, but also lets people off. And the people that lets off are those who are fed up with going around in circles. The people who've just joined haven't got fed up yet, so they think it's exciting. But that isn't a vision. That's not a journey. That's just church. That's doing church. And if I can just put up this next picture, you'll see um, the problem, this is a business statement, the problem that most businesses face is that they look in the rear view mirror to see where they want to go. And when you put it that way, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? They look back at what they've done and they think, let's just do a bit more of that and we'll be okay. Um, The latest company, the big company to come a cropper because they did that was Kodak. Right, I grew up with, a, with Codex splashed everywhere. You know, their logo was outside every newsagent, every chemist. Um, every thing of film you bought was made by Kodak. Remember film? Come on, some of you remember film. Um, they just thought they had a God-given right to continue to exist. I think they went into Chapter 11 a few weeks ago. And they may or may not survive. Because they didn't embrace the future. Um, I could also list, because that's an American company, so it's fun to have a go at them, but um, I could also list the entire British manufacturing industry with very few exceptions. Cars, electronics, motorbikes, trains, ships all went south in a negative way because they managed by looking in the rearview mirror, looking at what they'd done in the past instead of where they want to go. Vision statements are nothing to do with that, although they will take account of where you've come from. But they serve to point organizations and organisms like a church to show where we want to go, not reflect on where we've been. Vision statements are essentially what entities want to become, not a reflection on what they are. And as such, they're a statement of a preferred future. What would you like the future to look like? Because you can have that if you want They are not statements of inevitability. What I'm about to share with you is not inevitable. There are no certainties or guarantees. It's an intent, a choice, something that we step into and make it happen. And let me briefly touch on the parable. The parable is a story of talents. 
Now, which has turned from a, a very large sum of money, actually, in those days. Several years' wage was a talent, not like a denarius, which you may read in other stories, which was one day. But talents were big. So this is straight away a picture of abundance, what, what the master entrusts to um, his servants. And then there are a number of things which the story implies about the faithful use of talents as opposed to the safety-first tactic of the unfaithful servant who gets some... He's the one that Tim's worried about, you know, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. I've always wanted to include that phrase in a sermon, but I can't remember why now I've got the chance. Um, Firstly, there is the principle of multiplication. Five becomes ten, two becomes four. Not just incremental addition, not little steady um, one-on-one growth, but multiplication. And that's true of a lot of other parables and stories as well. The sower, um, the principle of the mustard seed, the feeding of the 5,000. God multiplies what we give to him. Secondly, the principle of obedience, the act of saying yes. Saying no is an option. You can say no. Many people say no by default because they don't say yes. When those servants received those talents, they were given a choice of what they did with them. And they had to say yes. They had to go out and do something with what they were given. And the the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, he had to do something. He had to offer it and give it up. The third principle is the issue of courage. The attribute of saying, I'm willing for this to be slightly risky and for it to entail change. And the place of safety in this story is reacted to very angrily by the master. You notice that that the one talent hidden in the ground, it doesn't grow at all, does it? One doesn't become 1.25 or one and a half. It becomes 0.9. Because by the time he gets it out, it hasn't even earned any interest, so it's lost value. And the place of safety is like that. You know, when you, when you, when you stop pedaling a bicycle, you don't stop. You tip over. Trust me, as someone who knows, that is what happens. It's not a place of safety at all. It's a place of decline. And fourthly, the principle of giving away, understanding that these things are given to us to use for the benefit of others in obedience to a master who wants our obedience. This is his master's money it's referred to in the story, not our own. And I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about money, but I'm talking about time and talent and devotion and our passions, our energies as well. So the message is, come in, draw in on the healing power of God and be blessed. But then go and do something with that and it will grow. It will multiply because God says it will. And underlying the story, of course, is some expectation that God expects much from those to whom much is given. Now I started off by saying thank you because there is every reason to do that. Um, with this with this church, um, every year we take out of the money that you give and give away between forty and fifty thousand pounds to missions that are outside of this church 
or outside of the Church of England even. And we send people to Kenya. We support Dave and Jenny Watson in Pakistan, Jill Bedford in Bangladesh, and certainly have done in the past. Um, Mark and Deborah Lawler in India, Josie Daniel and the pastors we support in India. Um, tier fund projects, choices, soup kitchens, and a number of other things come out of that money. As a missional community here, we've seen um, several dozen people come through Alpha this year, about 50-odd people attending the marriage and parenting courses, um, 51 families benefiting through furniture deliveries um, through, from Beeson projects, 51 families. I don't know how many hundred people that is being blessed that way. 22 hampers to Beeson clients as well of of food and provisions. 35 people have been helped to start the journey out of debt through CAP. That's one faithful person, one desk, one phone, and a faithful heart changing 35 lives directly and all the other people dependent on or involved in those people. We saw 108 students come through the language school, 22 prisoners engaged in weekly Bible study at Wormwood Scrubs, 60 inmates taken through Alpha that year, and also through the restorative justice scheme called Sycamore Tree, which I'd encourage you to read about. We have Tom and Marion Houston and um, Jeremy and Susie running The Lounge, which is our um, Fresh Expression Church and impacting people who would not find it easy to come in here in this gathering. Um, Many people don't even know that that operates every Tuesday night. Great and small, I remember not so long ago. When did we start the new format? A year ago? About 12 months. Before that, we had 25 people gathered here at the front. A bit of a sing-song, all very nice. We now have, every fortnight, 250 people coming into... You wouldn't recognize the place. In here, with their children, engaging in conversations in a church. That's not the end game, but it's the start, isn't it? What are we going to do with those people? Um, We run a play school. All all sorts of um, people come to this church. We're not even really aware of it. 900 people pass through here on carol service day and 600 attended on Christmas day alone. Outside of that, we run conferences. We run leaders' conferences, men's conferences, women's conferences. Um, Mark and Lindsay have this family time um, ministry, which is really hitting the spot. That's now part of a national parenting initiative that's going to be launched later this year with the potential to impact hundreds of thousands of people. All because a faithful church impacts society. Mark hosts round tables for church leaders looking to help them do what, what essentially what we have found God doing here. We've got a theological training hub that runs in the chancel room every Monday night with uh, 12 students under it. We want to do that again uh, this year and grow that. Um, Mark did this calculation, so I take no responsibility for it, but he reckoned that everything we do here in a year touches or in some way blesses 52,000 people because of what we do. However, that is the rearview mirror. So where do we go from here? Our vision is what we want to become. First part of that is we want to reach out 
to more of the young. We have interns in this church. Some of you will know them, some of you we, we don't. And they complement and support, and in many ways do, the work of some of the other staff. They make it real, they make it actually happen. We had Adam here for a couple of years. He, we were richly blessed with him. And we've currently got Becky, Becky Groves, who you saw on the, um, on the St. Paul's News. Simon and Mark and Chris and me, we couldn't do what we do without the help of those young people. And we have currently have one. We'd love to have more than that. Each one of them costs around about six grand a year by the time we've housed them and given them a little bit of money so that they can live. £6,000. The value we get for that is enormous. I think it's great value for us and it's certainly great value for them. Secondly, we want to reach out a lot more to the young adult population, that next generation of people we want to bring in back into the kingdom, the, the unchurched and the de-churched, those that never learnt about Christ at Sunday school and school. We're a new society now. We don't have prayers at our council meetings anymore. That's the unravelling of what's going on in the younger generation. It's inevitable. We want to reach out and reclaim those, those people back. So we're building something in a Sunday evening which is more relevant and more attractive to those people. And we've gone from quite low numbers, 30 to 40, maybe, maybe 50 people of an evening at one point last year. We're well above 100 already, sometimes touching 140. So what's going on there with Mark and Laura and Chris and, and some of the others and the team that supports them is bearing fruit. It's only just started, and it's already bearing fruit. We'd love you to support that. Come along, have a look, and see what goes on, but pray for it. Thirdly, we want to grow what goes on here in the mornings. We apparently had 146 people join the church last year, and we lost about 38. So there's a net growth of just over 100. That's people who visited and stayed. We don't really know how many visited and didn't stay, but we think it's much closer to 500. So we're keeping one in three of the people who come here and try us out. And we think that's probably true every year. So if you imagine the fishing metaphor, which is why I put this, this picture up, imagine that net. It's a trawl net. It's probably dreadful for the environment but it's really, really good for fishing, right? Or it's, a, it's a, one of those really intensive fishing nets, isn't it? Imagine, now actually, imagining a net full of holes is probably not a helpful question, is it? Because a net is full of holes. It is, in fact, a lot of holes tied together. But imagine it was broken with massive holes. Yeah, ripped and torn and damaged, such that every time you went out and did that, yeah, you caught loads of fish, but most of them just swam through and went away. Christian mission is a bit like that. If we're not intent on welcoming people in, letting them find out a little bit more about us, and then involving them in our community, and we want to take some steps to make sure that those 500 people who visit us every year, we keep far more than 130, 140 now, can you imagine what that would do to this church? If we did that three years in a row, we couldn't actually seat everybody in the mornings. 
And that has implications for what we do as a church. So we're going to set up and run more deliberate, intentional welcoming teams with a, a, um, a mission to sort of um, gently acknowledge people, welcome them, say hello, not beat them over the head and get their details and sign them up to a giving scheme, but just let them feel that they can be part of us and then join us in the fullness of time. But we have a vision that we'll keep far more than we're currently hanging on to. And finally, life groups. You know, if we do that, that has massive implications for how we pastor people, disciple them, care for people, actually befriend them, and make life abundant for them. That can only be done in community. Our staff team cannot do that. We just can't. We just cannot cover the ground. So it's really everyone or it's no one. So if you're not in a life group, really consider whether you'd love to be part of one because they probably need you. If they're going to be that kind of net to hold and, and keep and grow other people, they need your help. And it'd be great if you consider joining a life group. There are implications for this. I think we want to step up as a church to the big catch as well as our own local catch which means there are more resources are going to go into supporting other leaders and other churches. And I know Mark's got this on his heart, to be out and about and holding round tables and network days and, and so on, to grow the kingdom in other places as well as here. Um, men's days, new wine, um, leadership days, uh, women's days and so on, more of that to grow the kingdom in the country, not just in Northfields. The National Parenting Initiative I already mentioned, um, which is going to take a good deal of their time, I would imagine, because that is um, envisaged to grow remarkably. So what does that mean for us? Firstly, I think you're going to see your senior pastors engaged in a lot of work that you won't see. It will be elsewhere. And that puts a lot more... Um, responsibility and opportunity on the rest of us to make this vision happen here. They are going to be supporting national initiatives and going with what God has anointed them to do. Secondly, we do need to grow our budget. There will, there will be a, um, a need to grow the, the budget this year by some £30,000 over what we had last year. And at the back, I encourage you, there are some stewardship forms over there. Take one away, have a look, do an annual review of what you give to the church. We're already hugely grateful for what we receive. But think about how you can be part of what we're doing financially. If we believe in it, then we do need to fund it. And I say that in the context of the most awful economic backdrop. I realize that. And what we're saying is, look, we're going to give to God and build for his kingdom and trust that he will provide for us. Thirdly, prayer. We have prayer meetings here every Wednesday at 7 in the morning. If you're on your way to work and you want to pop in for 10 minutes, that means a lot in the kingdom. You know, that 10 minutes prayer is, is worth uh, what indescribable amounts, I think, with God's heart. And finally, training. We're going to carry on um, running the, the New One Training Partnership Hub 
And if, if you, that is going to develop and broaden its appeal, um, so it's not just degree-level stuff, but basically discipleship stuff. Yet to see what that looks like. But if you're interested in that, come and talk to us. And we'll um, get you to join in in September when they start the new year. In summary, will you join us? Will you be part of that? The backbone of it is that when people come into this church, we welcome them, we love them, we behave like a very friendly net. Now, I know it's not good news for those fish in that net, really, but in the kingdom, it's only an analogy. So they come to life, not to death. And there are no seagulls swooping around for the entrails. But if Jesus can use fishing stories, so can I. We want to bring people in and keep them, retain them, make them part of what's going on here, and in turn build them up and send them out. So we have a number of people who've come through this church who take its core DNA and mission and are now doing it in other churches must number thousands, I would think, over the past 20 years, uh, which is why I say a good and faithful church impacts the world in an unseen way because I believe it's true what I'd love you to do is stand with me you can say a short prayer and then we're going to go into communion um, the children I think can come in they're going to join us in that Father oh, forgive us our numbers and all our stats to a God that knows the numbers of hairs on each of our head. We commit our numbers to you. Lord, I just pray for your spirit now to come in and touch our hearts, that each of us will find our place in this vision, that we will draw on you for sustenance and joy, that we will never slip into the mentality of a profiteering organization, but simply a fruitful tree bearing fruit that the branches cannot hold. And we trust and praise you, Lord, that through your spirit it will be so. We pray for everyone out there that we have not reached yet, but whom we will reach. Lord, send your spirit ahead of us so that we are gatherers, not hunters, and we fill our baskets with the harvest you have prepared. Amen. We'll remain standing and um, I invite all of you to participate in this remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. We will uh, have the words up on the screen and just to remind or, or, or inform you, if you've not been here before, it's our custom to invite everyone here. If you would prefer to receive a blessing, just make that clear to uh, Chris or myself at the front when you come. Um, what we do is we, we hand out the bread, the, these wafers, and then we invite you to dip it in the wine, just so that you, you feel included and you know what's going on. Just, just do that and we'll uh, bless you as you come. Let's come before him and share in this time. A praise and thanks to you, Father in heaven. On the night before he died, your son, Jesus Christ, took bread, 
and wine. He gave thanks and said, This is my body given for you, and this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. We say together, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So pour out your Holy Spirit as we bring before you these gifts and remember his sacrifice made once for all on the cross. Feed us with his body and blood that we may live and grow in him. Through him we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honor and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. So draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. 